0: Welcome, everybody. Um, my name is Dave. I'm the pastor here at Redemption Tucson, and it's great to have you all here this morning. It's good to to see you, to be together. By way of introduction, if um, you've never met me or never heard me preach before, I want to let you know that I have a stutter, so that kind of comes in and out as, a, as I go along, and I just want to make sure that you all know what that is, what's happening there, so you're not trying to Figured out along the way, and um, it's also not these frigid temperatures—75 degrees—that um, isn't it at all. But um, very, very glad though that y'all are here today. Good to good to see you. And um, I want to let you know of a couple things. If this is your r- regular church, or if you're going to be coming back, um, I want to encourage you. We got some things right here. It's a, a journal, um, kind of a moleskin type journal. You know, hipster cool thing. And um, crazy thing, you can actually take notes in these as well. It's not just a prop for your image. Um, and um, I recommend it strongly because this one in particular is um, actually has our cool graphic on the front. And um, for the series that we're going through, we're spending time in the book of Mark, the gospel according to Mark. And we're just hunkering down and spending the Good part of a year in the book of in the book of Mark, and so um, someone from uh, Redemption in Phoenix, uh, actually a good friend of ours, Sean Mortenson, he actually came down here and um, preached one time and um, he actually put this together and it 's actually broken up into the passages that we will cover each week so it's it's um broken up into that passage and then you can take notes and then um so on you know each week and with that i want to um so we're selling those for three bucks out there if you don't have three dollars um just look, look let somebody know we want to make sure that you have one if you would like one but if you're able we'd ask that you give um three dollars that's how much they cost and um on that note Uh, I want to encourage you to, um, if you have a Bible, to bring it with you. And uh, in fact, if you don't have one here with you today, we're not going to shame you or anything like that. But uh, hold your hand up high. We want to make sure that you have one. If you don't own a Bible, keep this one, please. Okay. We want to make sure everybody has one. We have a couple in Spanish as well. So if you um, prefer to read the Bible in Spanish, please. Ooh, let us know. And again, for everyone, if you don't own one, so hold your hand up, hold it up high. If you don't have a Bible, please, I want to make sure that people can read along as we go. If you do, so yeah, there's one right there. I'll I'll help out with this. Um, I'm the auctioneer. Auctioneer with a cutter. That'd be an amazing job. <laughs> right below um, preaching for a living. I don't know what I was thinking, but anyway, um, I'm here. I'm focused. So. If you have a Bible, bring it with you. I want to encourage you to bring it because as we walk through God's Word, we believe that the Bible is profitable and authoritative. That God has given His Word for us to submit to, to learn from, to be shaped by week in and week out. So when we come here, I want to encourage you to actually, this is crazy, read ahead. Read ahead to what we'll be in, underline, take notes, get engaged so that as we, as, um, we walk through the sermon each week, that you would be prepared and um, and again, so I just want to invite you into that I want to say that um, with that because I believe that when we come together and we spend time in God's word, I take this really seriously this this isn't just a kind of joking time this isn't a monologue or anything like that that we just look for you know 12 steps to x y or z and take this and this will improve your life but instead um this is a time where god shapes us and specifically in this sermon even today jesus is calling jesus the king is calling for a response he's calling For us to follow him and to respond to who he is. And throughout this entire series, we've been asking, who is Jesus? Right? That's been the the very clear question. Who is Jesus? And then from there, what do you make of him? How do you respond to him? And what we've seen, it makes it very clear from the very beginning. Jesus is the authoritative king. And the authoritative king is calling for a response. He's shown his authority through being baptized through proclaiming the kingdom coming, through being tempted in the wilderness and having victory over that temptation. And um, he's shown that he is almighty God and he is near and close. And he's calling us to respond to him. And specifically today, he's calling us to follow him. The, the big kind of churchy word that some of us may have heard but don't know what it means is to be a disciple. The word disciple simply means a follower. A follower. So Jesus is calling for disciples, for followers, and um, as Paul said earlier when he introduced Midtown Church, I um, I take this seriously because Almighty God, Jesus is calling you to follow him i'm not calling for disciples of redemption church or disciples of dave god help us if that were the case or disciples of anything else none other than disciples or followers of god and so we're going to be praying for other churches each week because we recognize that we are not the church we are a part of his church and we are going through a membership class right now. We had a great showing, and we're walking through that. So we definitely believe in the importance of being committed to the local church. We, um, I preached heavily on that about a month, month ago. Um, but we do that recognizing that ultimately we're called to be followers of Jesus. And so as we get into Mark chapter 1, I want to ask you to meet me over there in uh, verse 16 through 20. And um, I expect... That we're all going to engage and consider, how do we respond? Because again, we're asking, who is Jesus? He's the authoritative king. And today, the question we're faced with is, how do you respond to the king? He's calling you to follow him. How do you respond? So as I preach, I take this seriously because I believe that we are, you are, encountering God. Right now, through His Word. And that's an incredibly high task. So I don't just take that lightly. So I want to pray and ask all of us to pray that we would engage our hearts and our minds and our ears to consider how do we respond to Jesus' call to follow Him. Okay? Amen? All right, let's let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you... um, Lord, you don't leave us there wondering and wandering. You have given us your Word. You have presented yourself to us through Scripture. And we um, do agree with Scripture itself. It says the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. We believe that to be true. And we believe that um, even through this time, you will speak to us. And Lord, I pray for everyone in here. I, I, I am deeply convicted that everyone in here will be called to respond to you in some way. And I don't know what that means. For everyone in here, that means something different. But, Lord, it's an encounter with you, individually and corporately. We come under the authority of Scripture, and we do consider, um, how would you have us respond to what you have to say to us? So, Lord, I pray that I would kind of be out of the way. Lord, that you would speak to us um, through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, through your word. And we pray these things in hope and in confidence in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, meet me in verse 16, Mark chapter 1. We're in week 3 of a long series we're entering into. So week 3, we're in verse 16. Um, Pick up with me. It'll be up here on the screen, and um, you can turn there as well. So, passing along the sea of Galilee, he, that's Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen and jesus said to them follow me and i will make you fishers of men and immediately they left their nets and followed him okay we're gonna um stop right there for a minute because as we talk about week in and week out we could just read that maybe a familiar story and just move along we just read that okay jesus calls the first disciples that was then this is now how does that relate to now Right, And we just read along, oh yeah, this is what happened. A couple of fishermen were out, just kind of you know hanging out, doing their thing. And Jesus came along, and of course it's Jesus. So he says, come and follow me. And they're like, okay, whatever. I don't have anything else going on. And they do, but that's not the case at all. This is their work, their livelihood. This is a crazy scene. Okay, We need to recognize that. It was crazy for the audience then that initially read this. And they're like, wait, what? These guys just left everything and followed Jesus? What's going on? That's not normal. And you and I need to peel back the layers and recognize that's not normal. Okay, imagine you're sitting there, you're doing your thing, whatever it might be, in your job, someone knocks on the door or comes by and you're, you know, swinging a hammer, whatever it might be. And they're like, hey, leave that and come and follow me. It's like, no, no. Right? I mean, you maybe ask some more questions, if anything else, but it's like, what? no, it follow you? What does that mean? Well, these guys follow, and it's really strange on a number of levels that they're responding to the character and the authority of Jesus. Okay, they're, they're responding to Jesus. They do follow him, so they must know something of him through this interaction. And so they choose to follow him. But this is strange because Jesus is referred to as a rabbi or a teacher, right? So a rabbi in this day had people follow him and he would teach them. But the rabbi didn't go and pick, you know, it's not like, you know, junior high basketball where everyone's lined up and you're like, I'll take you, I'll take you. And you can see by my height, I was usually not picked or was last to be picked so um but that's not what happened at all in fact the uh whoever was wanting to be discipled who wanted to follow a rabbi would choose the rabbi that could best lead them and they would say oh that person is really knowledgeable they are um they have a lot to offer me i'm going to go and ask them and i will now become a follower of that person but jesus is shaking things up here The author wants us to notice right away, no, um, God's ways are not predictable. They're just easy to believe, go on, go through the motions, yeah, yeah, we're in the Old Testament, we offer some sacrifices this time of year, we do our thing, we pick a rabbi to follow, we know, God, you're so predictable, and um, as we've seen all along so far, God's like, no, 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 my kingdom is coming, my kingdom is at hand, it is here. The good news, the gospel is being proclaimed. Everybody listen up. This is not your, pre- your predictable God that you can just put on a shelf and fit into a slice wherever you see fit in your life. Jesus is displaying His authority. And He's coming and He's saying, come and follow Me. And this would produce some questions and some anxiety, perhaps, but, as we're reminded, Mark, the author of this gospel, is taking us through a process. This isn't just Jesus, some scary figure who, I don't know if I can trust you, I don't know if I can follow you. As we've seen throughout, Jesus is none other than Almighty God. It's said from the very beginning Jesus, the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Son of God, or rightly put, God the Son. So Jesus is God, but as we've seen throughout, Jesus is baptized and Jesus is tempted, like you and me, because he wants to relate, he wants to show that he's not far off, that he's not distant, that he's near, that his character is trustworthy. But he's also showing here that he is authoritative. So right now, let us just recognize, as we sit here, as we consider, Jesus is saying, give me your work. That's a high call. It's not just some silly thing that we just keep reading past. No, this should stop us in our tracks. Jesus is calling these guys. Jesus is calling you and me to follow him. And he's saying, give me your work. Okay, we tend to want to just put this on a shelf and think, okay, that was then, this is now. Or perhaps we think, well, yeah, some people like you, the pastor, some people in full-time ministry Jesus says, come and follow me. You're supposed to um, be set apart and different. You're going to have a job. You're going to be in full-time ministry. Come and follow me. And then everyone else, all the rest of us, are like, yeah, that's different. Jesus isn't calling for my work. No, he is. There's, there's really no such thing as full-time ministry, okay? I know I might be talking myself out of a job right now. But there's the way we talk about it, right? We think there's a professional, and then there's the like lay people, or there's varsity and junior varsity, um, or or however we want to think about it. But that doesn't exist in the Bible. That dichotomy is blown up. There's there's full time ministers who are full time followers of Jesus, and some people like I've never watched NASCAR in my life, but um, I think there are people who work in the pit crew, right? And uh, their full-time job is to empower and equip people to send them back out, right? To send the the drivers back out to kind of carry on the race, and they come back in, and the the pit crew equips and empowers and fills up and whatever, and sends the people back out. And in some capacity, though I don't really want to be associated with NASCAR, Um, in some capacity, people that are in what we would call full-time ministry really more have the role of equipping and and kind of devoting ourselves to equipping and sending. But we're all in this together. We're all in full-time ministry. Okay, so let's just agree to kind of blow that term up and not say the full-time ministry and I do my own thing, because again, we want to put Jesus on a shelf. We want to limit God to being predictable. And yeah, some people do that. But for me, God, you fit really nicely into, you know, Sunday morning. Not to interfere with breakfast, not to interfere with lunch, but you kind of fit really nicely in a certain spot. And that's not what's happening at all. Jesus is showing his authority and he's saying, come and follow me. Give me your work. And these guys don't know everything that entails on the front end. right, hear me. Jesus, the King, is calling you right now to follow Him. And I can't stand here and tell you very predictably what all that will include. I don't know what that might entail tomorrow or the next day. In fact, some of you I know are newly married. Some people here might be engaged or will be married one day. When you exchange vows, when you agree to be married... You don't know what that's going to entail two years, three years, two weeks, two decades down the road. You don't know. What, what's happening in that moment, you're entering into what we call a covenantal agreement, an, 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 an all-in agreement, saying, I commit myself to you, you commit yourself to me, and you're entering in, and you agree this is going to be foundational. This is going to define how we live In whatever circumstance we face and I was faced with this about four years into marriage um, January 4th 2006 do you remember where you were January 4th 2006 right it's common date Um, I do I know exactly where I was I was in um, Barnes & Noble the bookstore spending the evening with my wife we're drinking coffee Looking at, you know, books and newspapers and just walking around, you know, we didn't have much money. So that was what our dates looked like. And you're like, why do you remember that so specifically? Well, if you Google that right now, don't do it. I know you can with your phone or whatever. But if you were to Google that date or perhaps more importantly, just type in the words USC versus Texas and the words will pop up the greatest game ever played. That's what it's called. Now, we have some USC fans here who do not agree that that was the greatest game because they were on the wrong end of that game. But most people agree that in all of sports, that was the best game. Just the drama, the build up, what it came down to, the way it ended, it was the best game. It was the college national championship. And I am a diehard sports fan. I love sports. And that day, though, happened to be where our crazy schedule came to a head. And we agreed. We covenanted to one another and said, I put you before everything else. And so we had been on a crazy schedule. We'd been traveling, staying in hotels, staying with family, and it just, we needed to get away. We needed to get some time together. We'd been arguing. It had just been a rough kind of season, and we needed to just spend some time investing in one another. And yes, I sacrificially um, missed the greatest game ever played. And... Um, so, pat me on the back. No, there, um, if you know my wife or you know our story at all, she has absolutely dominated me in terms of sacrifice and giving things up and um, pouring herself out time and time again. So, we could go on and on about all the things that she has done, but I wanted to just share that story. But, um,. <laughs> You can come and ask me for some examples later. There are a lot, though, where she has definitely sacrificed and put some things on the shelf. But that's an example of one thing. I didn't know when I was exchanging vows with her that four years from then I would miss the greatest game ever played. But I would have, of course, the outcome would have been the same. Of course, I would have said absolutely. Absolutely. But but guys, the point is this. You don't know. I didn't know that. There are infinitely more details about our relationship that I didn't know on the front end and that she didn't know on the front end. But we knew each other's character. We knew what we were being called to. And we're human. We're sinful, broken humans. How much more as we consider, who is Jesus? That's already been answered. He is the authoritative king. And what is he calling He's calling you to follow him. Here he's saying, give me your work. And in the next two verses, he ups the ante a little. He says, in fact, give me your family. No, no, give me your whole life. Okay, pick up with me in verse 19. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants. And what they do? They followed him. Again, this is crazy. Okay, This isn't just let us not just get used to this. Oh yeah, they followed him. They're sitting there with their father, doing the work that they have been preparing to do their entire lives. And Jesus says, come follow me. And they follow him. Okay, we're most of us are really attached to our work, right? We it's what we spend the majority of our lives doing. Well, sleeping and working. We spend a lot of time working. It's it's really important, and and, and God does not say this isn't important. In fact, we talk about all of life is all for Jesus, and our work has has value and importance to it. And so, so um, these guys are really attached to their work, but they're also really attached to their family. Some of us in kind of dominant white culture right now in the U.S., perhaps we aren't as devoted to our families as in this context or in some different cultures today. Family is everything. I mean, moving down the street from your family is a big deal. Moving out of state. um, My family lives all over the place. Some in England, some in the U.S., some in San Francisco, which might be a part of the U.S. Um, but all over the place, right? We're, we're everywhere. Our, our family lives all over the place. And that's um, pretty normal for most of us. So again, we just become a little bit inoculated to Jesus's call to follow him, to, in this case, to leave our family, to leave our work. And for these guys, it's even more because their work and their, and their role in their family were intertwined. These guys were, were fishermen, Likely for generations, likely for centuries, fishing has been handed down. You're a fisher man. That's what you do. We're from the Zebedee family. We're fishermen. That's what we do. And, and um, you know, we don't relate to that as much, right, in our day. We don't relate as much to my dad did this. My mom did this. Therefore, I do that. But that's exactly what happened in their day. And Jesus is saying, come and follow me. He's calling for absolute, uncompromised commitment to Him. And in case we again think this is just so easy and we kind of get past it and say, okay, it's, you know, okay, follow me. What is He saying? Well, let me, let's turn, or we'll have it up here on the screen, to Luke. Luke chapter 14, Jesus' call to give Him. Everything is so bold that we we need to understand it by looking at another passage Luke chapter 14 verse 26 Look with me if anybody comes to me and he does not hate his father and mother his wife and children His brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life He cannot be my disciple hate What Jesus is saying hate your family? Hey, that might be a confusing passage too. So, hopefully, it's hard at least for some of us. Um, for all of us, like, wait, it's not. What do you mean, hate my family? I thought God says honor your mother and your father. And even in the New Testament, it said if you do not provide for your own family, you're worse than an unbeliever. It's a big deal. God takes providing for family, caring for our family members. So, how can here Jesus say, unless you hate your family, you cannot be my follower? Well, there's a difference here. There's active hate, okay? It's where you you go all in and you actively hate something. And then there's comparative hate. Active hate, think ASU, okay? That should be a little easier for some of us. It's like you see, you know, wins. You see that ridiculous pitchfork or whatever it is, and. Um, and you just you get sick in your stomach and you're thinking, what is that? And you, and you feel active hate. Or some of us experience that in other contexts. We understand active hate. And so when we read this, we just think that Jesus is saying to actively hate our mother and father, to actively hate our families. Well, that's not the case. What he's saying here is, compared to your commitment to me, compared to your love for me, may everything else in your life look like hate. Okay, hey, does, that, does that make sense? It means that you're so committed to Jesus. It means that you respond to his call, to his character and his authority. It's so clear that you go all in with your whole life that you say, I will follow you. You are absolutely foundational. You are the priority in every decision I make, in every relationship I have, in my work, in my family. Yes, even in my whole life. So that my commitment to you will look like hate compared to everything else. And I know that some of us, that's really uncomfortable. Because we've gotten so used to a palatable Christianity that again fits so nicely, that slides right into our lives, where we don't get the character or the authority of Jesus, that we sit back and think, I'm in the driver's seat, Jesus and Christianity, following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, needs to fit into my life, surely Jesus, silly Jesus, you wouldn't call me to give you my work, or my family, you wouldn't call me to something crazy like that, and so what we tend to think, is on one extreme you have apathy, Like maybe atheism or agnosticism or just complete religious apathy. And on the other extreme, you have religious fanaticism. And so we need to find something in between the two. We wouldn't call it this, but we want to find palatable, easy to swallow, mediocrity. That's what we prefer. Sadly, in a lot of cases, that's what church is producing. That's what we're, um, we're responding to. I live, lived in the South, in the Bible Belt, for about uh, six years. Um, and, and I remember in, in the South, there's a tendency to make up words sometimes. And so people wouldn't say fanatical. They turn it into fanatic don't be fanatic And it was in a southern accent, and sometimes it still comes out. My wife will hear me talking to an old friend and be like, your southern accent came back. And, um, and it would happen. But I remember a couple instances where someone would be like, hey, you know, being Christian, of course, right? You got God, country, family, whatever, you know, the Dallas Cowboys, whatever it would be like. In your next order, right? And that's the, way, that's the way Christianity works. It fits in this nice little order. Don't get all fanatic Don't be crazy. Jesus isn't calling for you to give everything. Yeah, give the Sundays except during hunting season and just kind of, you know, do your thing and go about life the way you want to go about it and, you know, fit God nice into a nice little sliver right where he belongs. But that's not the case here. Jesus is saying, give me everything. Come and follow me. And for some of us, we might be thinking, that, that's really scary. And, and I want to recognize that. His call for you to respond and follow him is significant. He is calling for everything. But, but listen to me, it never gets away from his character and His love for you. What happened in verse 11? Chapter 1, verse 11. God the Father peels back to heavens, And He says to Jesus, You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. That is the gospel. That is the good news. The word gospel means good news. And that is the life-defining good news. That by placing your trust in Jesus through identification with Jesus... God now looks on you and says, Daughter, son, beloved, I delight in you. I love you. I am pleased with you. That is his character. And so that now informs the authority that Jesus is displaying and saying, Now come and follow me. Okay, we want to sit here and either think, again, keep out of my life, God, just give me something easy, something palatable, something mediocre, something that fits nicely, or perhaps on the other extreme, some of us want to check, right? We're like, yes, this is finally the sermon where I get a checklist. I get the naughty or nice list where I can check off all the boxes and I can be a fanatic because some of us have fanatical uh, tendencies and we want fanatical Christianity that we can check a bunch of religious boxes, but one author reveals that the gospel is a whole nother arena. It's not ambiguity and mediocrity. It's not fanaticism. It's something different altogether. Read this quote for me from author and pastor Tim Keller. He says this, Fanatics are still treating Christianity as advice rather than good news. The gospel isn't advice. It's the good news that you don't need to earn your way to God. Jesus has already done it for you. And it's a gift that you receive by sheer grace through God's thoroughly unmerited favor. I, I Listen, look at me. All of us in here today, we're either asking for a checklist or we're saying, just leave me alone. I'm here, aren't I? fit into my life where you should see fit. But look at me, God loves you too much to just leave you alone. The worst thing for us, it's what the Bible calls sin. We've all heard that word. The worst place for us to be is separated from God. Hell is eternity separated from God. Hell on earth is life separated from God. Some of us have experienced that. All of us have experienced the consequences of that in some capacity. And so lovingly, compassionately, and yet authoritatively, Jesus, the King, is saying, follow me. Come and follow me. I don't know what that means specifically for every individual in this room, but I know it applies to every single one of us. So as we prepare to respond right now, we're going to respond as we do every every week. Paul will lead us through a time where he'll explain that we respond individually and corporately. Because guys, the bad news, if the gospel is good news, part of the bad news for us individually and corporately, as a church, as humanity, is we have just, we're swimming in contaminated waters. We're palatable, mediocre Christianity is absolutely killing us. We are so used to consumerism and entitlement and where I'm on the judgment seat and I decide what everything else does and how everything else fits into my life and we have no sense of commitment to community or authority over us or submission to God or responding to the authoritative call of Jesus. Jesus. So we need to pray and consider even now as we respond. I'm asking you the question, who is Jesus and how do you respond to him? As I get ready to pray, I want to ask you, if you're here today and you've never heard the good news, perhaps for the first time you're hearing the call of Jesus on your life, saying, follow me, give me your life. And I will give you eternal life. Jesus is calling you to put your faith in him, to follow him, to trust him. Will you respond in faith today? If that's the case, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, I want to ask you to act on that. To pray and say simply, Jesus, I give my life to you. If you have questions, if you want to talk about that, if you make that decision, I ask you to write it down on a uh, connection card or i'm going to stay up here like i will every week i'll stay up here in the front and i want to get to know you i want to talk to you um i want to um celebrate with you if you are um i'm calling us all to action right now how will you respond to jesus if it's by placing your faith in him for the first time today please come and talk to me but for everyone else you're called to respond as well you're called to action i don't know how I I am confident it's not for everyone to leave your job and come do full time ministry. I know that's not the case. But we're all called to come do real full time ministry, to surrender to the King and to say, Yes, Jesus, I follow you. The good news that we're all called to respond to right now is that the King has laid down his life so that you and I can follow him, responding to his authority responding to his good character, saying, I surrender all. Let's pray. Thank you um, again, Father, for your word that instructs us. Thank you, um, Holy Spirit, for not leaving any of us in a comfortable mediocrity. Lord, for giving us um, easy-to-swallow Christianity. Lord, I pray that my tone which is maybe stronger than normal, would be um, informed by your love. Lord, I pray that that everyone here would, would hear your tender voice saying, come, follow me. Lay down your life so that I can give you new life, real life, full life. Lord, that our identity and our purpose and our work and our family and our decisions And who we are would be informed, shaped by your character, by your work, by your goodness, and by your authority. Again, I don't take what I do lightly, and I I pray that even now, Heavenly Father, you are doing work with every individual here. And so I pray that as we respond, we would respond individually and corporately to the good news and the authoritative call of Jesus, who says, come and follow me. We pray and we worship in His name. Amen.